Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey, welcome everyone. I'm Jason McKnight, and I'm here in the studio with Ben Hendricks. Ben, I got to tell you, you look like you got a lot of sleep last night. It's like the bags are my eyes are going away now. I know, a little Harper 1 and Harper 2 bags. <laughs> I'm remembering what sleep is. <laughs> Man, well, I'm glad she's sleeping. But thank you, everyone, for joining us today, and you too, Ben, for getting up. Uh, hope it's a good one. Here's the question for today. What would you die for? So I love Duke basketball. I love Montreal hockey. I would not die for either of them. I just wouldn't. There's five of us in our house. There's me, there's Susan, there's the two boys, and the dog. I would only die. I would only lay down my life for three, not all four. You figure out which one. What would you die for? Why would then somebody die for their faith? Why is Jesus worth it all? Seriously, we know he's worth it all, and we know we're supposed to say that, but really, would we really cling to him in the face of pain or persecution? Well, what we want to do today is grow stronger in the Lord by seeing how others have walked this road of persecution and even martyrdom. And we're going to look at three Christians you should know, three Christians you want to know. And Ben is going to introduce us to the first two, and I'll circle back later with the third. So Ben, take it away. Yeah, so we're going to start off with a man named Tertullian, who, interestingly enough, wasn't martyred. But he, <laughs> now you're making me confused. <laughs> but he was, one, he was a man who was known for moving the needle forward on how the church understood martyrdom and the mm. value that could come from it. And so Tertullian lived in, uh, between 155 AD to 220 AD. He was born in Carthage in the Roman province in Africa. So long story short, long time ago yep. in Africa. Gotcha. He was a prolific uh, early Christian author who focused on a couple key things, one of which was he was a Christian apologist. He commonly would write against Christian Gnosticism, the movement of that. Mm. But a couple other things, he, would ex he wrote extensively on the Trinity. So he uh, is credited as the first person to use the word Trinity in Latin. Uh, he also would write and help the church kind of form its opinion or form uh, an idea of what it meant for the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm. A lot of that that we have today, we know in part because of him. But he also wrote on marriage and remarriage, Christian discipline, polity, morals, uh, apologetics. He fought for freedom of religion. But th here's the reason why we're talking about him. Because, it was, because he wrote extensively on the radical view of the Christian faith and life, that Tertullian ended up coming to Christ. So he came to his relationship with the Lord because he watched Christians give their lives hmm. while living within the Roman Empire for Jesus. So he was reached because somebody else gave their life. Isn't he, that interesting? He was fascinated with the this is radical nature of what the Christian life was, of what it meant to give your life for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so the, he, he wrote that the Christian life re, was rejecting the world and the enticement of the world with its submission and obedience to God's will. And that it, that was lifelong training for martyrdom. Mm -hmm. That persecution, in short, was a part of the Christian's total training. That Tertullian's theology in this area was practical and spiritual. He looked at it as... At, as highlighting a benefit to it of, look, this is not for nothing, hmm. but there's a value here. So why does this hmm. matter? Yeah. Tertullian's focus <clears throat> in writing on the radical nature of the Christian faith and life helped shape the early church's understanding and view of persecution. The climate Tertullian was writing in was one of hostility and persecution from the Roman Empire. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the church was trying to figure out all of this in real time of how to handle persecution, like it wasn't figurative, it was real. Mm -hmm. 
So Christians were being imprisoned, murdered, tortured, and more, and believers were forced to wrestle in this reality. Is Christ worth dying for? Tertullian helped answer that question and articulate the hope that can be found amidst the suffering. And he did that by mainly highlighting two things. The personal mm. holy, the first one was personal holiness. His belief was that persecution is one of the greatest tools of Christian growth. He was an advocate for that idea. And so his belief was also that persecution is one of the most intimate commonalities or, you know, things that we can share with Jesus, hmm. which is a good yeah. reminder for us because he is the suffering servant. Mm-hmm. And when we suffer and when we give our lives, we have a commonality with him that not all of us will ever have. But the other one was the outward focus of it, the outreach and hey, evangelism. Before we do that, I, I, like on the personal holiness that comes from suffering, I think that's a helpful um, truth that I didn't always know. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks listening are wrestling with, are leaning into for the first time. But even Paul, like, I, I want to share in his sufferings, yeah. you know, in Philippians 3. Um, the idea that as we give up the th- good things in our lives through suffering, whether it's external that's pressed on us, persecution, whether it's diseases or things like that, what's left is what's most important, the treasure. And, yeah. and that's, where, that's, I think, why people who have suffered actually come out like gold with yeah. Jesus. Like they, if they haven't given up Jesus, they have him more. There's so much that's hope so in good. it. Yeah. Thank you, Tertullian. Okay. But the second thing that yeah. he highlighted. And so that's the outward focus of it, which is kind of outreach and evangelism. See, he, mm. he believed that a believer's faithfulness and persecution modeled the cross. Which, he, which was true in his life. Yep. He and so he, he believed it in the means by which the church would, this was that persecution and the suffering that the Christians would go through was the means of which the church would take the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Mm. And he famously said this, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Mm. That the, the martyrs who give their lives for the gospel, who give their lives for Jesus, end up be, being the ones who, by giving their lives, spread the gospel the furthest. He was an example of that coming to Christ because right. he watched people being willing to give their lives for something. And so Tertullian helped lay the foundation of suffering for the sake of the gospel and the hope and reward that can be found in that faithfulness. So it's not meaningless. Yep. And it's not God's punishment, and it's not your failure. Yep. Tertullian. He, he helped move that needle forward of that the life worth living for Christ is a life worth losing. Wow. It's a helpful wow. reminder. That's great. But now let's skip ahead, and we'll be brief here for just a moment, to over 1,800 years later, hmm. to February 12, 2015. Oh, wow, like current events. Yeah. Where 21 Coptic Christian men were kidnapped from their homes and tortured for their faith in Jesus. Hmm. Where ISIL troops paraded these 21 men in orange jum- jumpsuits down a Libyan beach, and where these men in orange were murdered on the sands because they wouldn't refuse the name of Christ. Hmm. They were kidnapped, their families were threatened, they were beaten and tortured. And despite all of it, they gave their lives for their faith. Hmm. I think for many of us, it reminded, it was a reminder that these atrocities are not things of the past, but problems that Christians face today. Mm-hmm. Like they're real. Realities, yeah. We couldn't hide from it. They were right there on our screens. It was a reminder that suffering and persecution are all too real today. And that the living out of the foundation that Tertullian helped lay 
that the reward of Christ is still worth it all. Hmm. That the life worth living for Christ is a life worth losing. But it, and it also was a great example of like Tertullian suggested that their sacrifice became a hmm. seed for the church to continue to grow amidst I mean unbelievably barren soil, right? Hmm. Like as I, I still filmed a, this atrocity as propaganda and a measure of their strength, we see 21 men calling out for the name of the Lord, yelling out Jesus. Mm-hmm. What I still meant for evil, mm-hmm. God used for good. Yeah. And imagine that because ISIL or ISIS, they, they, they broadcast that, and it was what they wanted to do is show everyone how strong they are so the cutting off of the heads was the point of the video, and the moment before they cut off the heads, these guys are calling out to the Lord and worshiping Him, and the name of Jesus is seen to be worth more it's than amazing. anything else. And the whole point is that this goes throughout the Arab world, the Muslim world, the Western world, uh, and Jesus is elevated and magnified. Mm. Wow. That's unbelievable. ISIL, you must be European. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're always one step ahead of me. We uh, our news usually calls it ISIS, but over there they Always call it ISIL. That, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the Levant versus Syria—that's that's the last S or L. Yeah. Anyway, well, let's go to an adventure story, um, which we know how it's going to end. <laughs> I shouldn't try to, but here the third one. So Tertullian, with the with the undergirdings and the help for the church, that you know this persecution that may come in your life or in your time is not against God's will. He's here too. Um, the 21 martyrs from Egypt, 20 of them from Egypt, one of them from Sudan, I think, but mm-hmm. they're on a Libyan work site on the beach on the Mediterranean. Um, let's go, let's dial the timeline back just a little bit to the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the probably the most famous martyrs in, um, in the 20th century in, from America, anyway, from, from uh, Canada and America. Uh, and it's a story of courage and adventure and faithfulness and treachery and drama and tragedy and love and forgiveness and the gospel. And it's the story of Jim Elliot and Nate Saint and the Aka Five. They used to be known as the Aka Five. Mm. Um, you, you know, the most famous of these five missionaries is Jim Elliot. It's because his wife, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, wrote a couple of books about it. Um, and so that's why we kind of know his name. But he, as a single young man, Wheaton graduate, 1952, set sail for Ecuador with his buddy Pete Fleming. I mean, Ben, just imagine you and a buddy from college in Bible studies and loving the Lord getting on a plane and going to Ecuador or Uganda or whatever. Like, what an amazing thing God always uses young people. Well, Jim and Pete, they're on their way. Um, he met down there Elizabeth, I forget her uh, other, like her maiden name, but, you know, Elizabeth Elliot, we know her as, and they got married. 1955, they had a daughter named Valerie. And these four mission, these five missionaries, Jim, Nate Saint, Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, and his old friend Pete Fleming, they learned of a tribe with no contact with the outside world in Ecuador, very primitive living conditions, the Warani tribe. And they learned that Shell Oil was pressuring the Ecuadorian government to allow the company to displace, this big bad company to displace this small insignificant tribe in the interest of world progress. And the gospel trumps all of that. And they thought, we got to reach these folks. 
before they're just, you know, assimilated into some city somewhere. And, you know, because this is the 50s. Nobody's protecting land for indigenous people. They had the unreached peoples on their heart. And so the five said, we got to make contact with these folks for Christ. Risky? Yeah. Stone Age group spears, poison-tipped arrows. Prehistoric language we don't know. Uh, they don't know us. So, uh, you know, while he was in college, Jim Elliott wrote in his journals, very famous, was on my fridge growing up for years. My mom had it on our fridge, uh, this quote by Jim Elliott, and he penned it in his journal one day at Wheaton. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Mm -hmm. And Jim Elliott was ready to die if it, if it had come to that. So they, uh, Nate Saint with Missionary Aviation Fellowship, the, you know, the rest of them, but we, we uh, have a guy, a couple in our church who are ambassadors with them, and we love it. MAF is a great ministry. Um, they perfect, Nate, the pilot, perfected a flying technique where their little one-engine prop plane would circle in as tight a circle as possible. They'd let down on a, on a rope a bucket, and because they're circling so tight, by the time the bucket is 100 feet down, on, almost on the ground, it's stationary. Like, that's how physics work. I don't do physics, so somebody else <laughs> has to figure it out. But the vortex of the circle and this bucket is, is still enough that you can put in and take out. And so they would make contact with these people, and they would give them gifts. And then the, the Warani would put gifts in, and then they'd bring them back up, and they'd fly off and all this kind of stuff. The Stone Age tribe receiving gifts from the sky. Wow. Anyway, so they find a few miles away from where the tribe is, and it's not a large tribe, on the Karari River, a flat, straight beach that Nate Saint knew he could land on. And they started calling it Palm Beach. <laughs> so not West Palm Beach, just Palm Beach. So after several months of building goodwill with a bucket in the sky, they decided, these five decided to camp at Palm Beach and build on that goodwill in the hopes of being received into the community and um, they had learned some of the language because somebody from this tribe had, had stumbled across the outside world and had become part of the missionary community. And so they were doing all this. So they learned a few phrases, and they're letting them know via a loudspeaker um, these several phrases of goodwill and also, hey, Palm Beach, <laughs> you know, come visit us a mile away or two miles away, whatever. So these five brothers on January 3rd, 1956, decided to land and set up camp and community at Palm Beach. And the mission station called Shandia, several air miles away, but really probably days away if you were going to be in a canoe or on a, on a road. And, mm. and well, no roads, but hacking through the jungle. Um, so these guys are cut off from the outside world, and they would only be able to communicate by radio. And they set up, and everybody would do this back in the day, set up uh, a regular schedule to communicate. Crucially, you have to make contact. 8.30 in the morning, 12.30, 4.30, 8.30, you know, because we got to know you're okay kind of thing. And they had contact with a couple of members of the tribe, a woman and then a young girl and a guy, and they even gave the guy airplane rides. Like, it was really kind of, they were like, <laughs> man, God is opening this door. So January 3rd, you know, they're, they're landing and they do this and they meet a couple of these folks and landing. Um but there's a wide gap to bridge, and there's a whole bunch of politics in the tribe that they don't know anything about. And the story is really more involved than we can tell here, but there was some misunderstanding amongst the tribal. There was some deceit and treachery within the tribe, and a war party was struck. And they left to find these five, who now are not seen as friends with goodwill, but as invaders. And on January 8th, 
the five made the 1230 call home. Hey, all is well here at Palm Beach. And uh, Elizabeth and the others waited at the 430 call and it never came on January 8th, 1956. And at around three in the afternoon, the war party arrived. They split in two so as to divide the five guys and they speared all five of them to death and stripped the airplane of whatever was on it, um, just kind of just destroying everything. And even, even while Pete Fleming kept making overtures for friendship and speaking the words of friendship and Roger Udarian was speared with his hand on the radio, just about ready to make a call for help. Not that it would have helped, but at least folks would have known before the call that never came. And these men passed through gates of pearly splendor, as the song says, into the presence of the Lord they loved, at the hands of the men they loved, who now saw them as enemies. Mm. I mean, moving and riveting, such a dramatic story. But that's only the beginning, because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we can read this with grief and with questions, where's God in this? How could this be? They're doing everything. But, you know, Steve Saint, Nate's son, tells the story well. And Elizabeth Elliot has helped tell the story, the, the, Jim's widow, since 1958. And here's what happened next. After the shock, after some time to heal, Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, and Elizabeth Elliot, with young Valerie, moved into the tribe. Killed her brother, killed her husband, killed her dad. Pick up the fallen torch, move towards those who killed. And a, so many in that tribe trusted the goodness of the Lord and the, and the, and the power of the gospel. And they came uh, to give their lives to Christ. And a mission station was set up in the Warani area of the jungle. And the goodness of the Lord has now been experienced by generations of Warani. And, you know, we read in Revelation 7, 9, a multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language will be worshiping at the throne. And don't you know, Nate Sate can't wait to worship beside the guy that killed him. Hmm. I mean, what an amazing thing. And we can trace a line to that first generation in the late 50s as the martyrs demonstrated the love of Christ for the sake of the gospel, as those left behind, Rachel, the sister, Elizabeth, the wife, Valerie, the daughter, who's two, she has no choice. She just has to go, but they went in with the same love of Christ. One more thought, as the story came out, it's front page of Time magazine, you know, 1956, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint. Um, uh, my dad was 16, and widespread sadness in the media, but in the church, it lit a flame for world missions of taking the gospel to the unreached people groups. And to be sure, evangelicals had always been sending missionaries since 1792 and William Carey. But with this news, a new generation of men and women, my dad's age, so, you know, <laughs> were called into uh, the mission field and a new impetus for global missions. And in our families, my wife's and my, we have several missionary uh, in, in our aunts and uncles age, people who are um, ready to move across the world uh, for people who don't know Christ. Urbana, the student mission, a triennial conference was just beginning there. And then, you know, the passion movement now and the cross conference, I think you went to that uh, years ago. But, you know, we can't, I don't know how many numbers of young men and women committed themselves to world missions because of these martyrs, but I can say this, God used the sacrifice of these five 
to draw the North American, to light the North American church, to, to give laser focus on what really matters. The gospel of the kingdom to people who have not heard is the greatest investment we can make. I mean, what a joy. The great question, is Jesus worth it? All three, <laughs> I mean, all, what, 27 of these <laughs> men in our three Christians edition had to answer this. Mm-hmm. And all did it in different ways, in different times, and in different scenarios. And th- they came to different ends, but they all had to answer it. And they answered it for the church, the early church. They answered it for you know, everyone watching in 2015 and they, and this party answered it for all to hear on the New York Times and on before. They didn't know these what these decisions would mean, but they knew that faithfulness is what mattered. And they didn't set out to be martyrs. They just set out to do the next thing Jesus called them to do. Yeah. And that's what gives me hope because, boy, if I think of, like, let's say, burning at the stake, I, I mean, I'm shrinking back, but really all I need is to do the next thing Jesus calls me to do. And my grace is sufficient for you. Amen. You know, I don't have the grace for martyrdom while I'm sitting in the studio here in the <laughs> podcast. But he's going to, if I just keep him uh, number one in my eyes. Hey, listen, just as we're finishing up, um, it, you know, y'all might want to learn more. The You know, here in Encounter Grace, we always want to give you ways to learn and to grow. Voice of the Martyrs Ministry. So voice, you can Google Voice of the Martyrs, uh, started by Richard Vumbrandt, a Romanian pastor who was tortured for Christ. And that's the name of the book he wrote. It's moving, it's short, but if you're, you know, and it seems like we might be back in the Cold War, but if you're in the Cold War era, uh, this is helpful to think through what love and forgiveness looks like even to those, and how Jesus comes near. I mean, Richard tells in beautiful tales um, how Jesus ministered to him in the, in the suffering, in the torture that you can't believe. Uh, they have a movie about it, and, and actually, even this spring, they're they're um, releasing a movie called Sabina, which I think is about his wife during the uh, Nazi occupation of Romania. So anyway, if you if you want to learn a little bit more, Voice of the Martyrs Ministry is a great place to start. Um, also, the Bible, <laughs> the book of Revelation. You know, God wins, we suffer, so don't compromise. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the message of Revelation. Just watch how much worship there is in Revelation, and it'll help you and me worship Jesus a little more. I think it's so helpful. I mean, just a great reminder that, again, God wins, that despite our circumstances yeah. or what we have to suffer, what we go through, God ultimately wins. And so faithfulness, despite all of that, is worth it mm. because God's going to win in, at the end anyways. And so, Lord, we just, friends, we just thank you so much just for... Keep uh, praying, for, for, Yeah, I was I about love to pray it. for us. Uh, we just thank you for tuning in and listening, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see you next time. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and